Hi there, it's Alec Breck and welcome to my second ever Alex Breck Banter Podcast. Today I thought I would, seeing as we're at the beginning of this podcast series, I would start with my very first story, uh, which I published in 2012, and read out a little bit from chapter one. Now, this this takes place in California, uh, somewhere where I visited uh, in my 20s, and I, I spent a few months traveling through the States and Central America, and some of the people that I met and some of the experiences that I that I had whilst I was there became the highly exaggerated, that's what I tell my mum anyway, highly exaggerated uh, versions of what appears in, in my first novel. It's called He Who Pays the Piper, and this is chapter one, All the Leaves Are Brown. The creature was clearly suffering under the unrelenting intensity of the midday sun to look at the shriveled facial features incandescent white with black pinprick eyes, it seemed certain he must have been cruelly evicted from the sanctuary of a nocturnal habitat. There were no obvious signs of injury on the outside of the body, but as he darted in and out of any available areas of blessed shade, it was possible to hear quiet wailing sounds emanating from deep within, indicating the likely occurrence of serious internal injuries. He had felt better, it was true. Possibly he could blame it on a popular excuse of these parts, that he'd been abducted by aliens who'd conducted depraved mental and physical experiments on him, leaving him this pathetic remnant of his past glory. Unfortunately, he feared that he alone was responsible for his latest predicament. Plus, to sweeten his day further, he'd just been fired. Yes, again. As he emerged from the relative cool of the narrow, dusty minna onto busier Fifth Street, heading up to market and home, he suddenly panicked at the hellish vision before him. The broad street wriggled wetly in the heat, and the clear blue sky did nothing to dampen down the clamorous honking of the rushing vehicles. Stumbling at the litter-strewn roadside, he muttered various foul entreaties to the world and headed instead for the alternative existence of the Loch Ness. Downtown San Francisco on a Saturday afternoon was no place for a poor Scots lad with the mother of all hangovers. He slid through the door, his head held low, and then found his way over to the bar as if possessed with some internal guidance system. He pulled himself up onto a stool with some difficulty and rubbed at the dried blood stuck to his unshaven cheek. His long, pale fingers were shaking as he searched the pockets of his coat for a cigarette. Inhaling deeply, he finally raised his head and flint grey eyes looked around the bar measuredly, devoid of any interest. Back in, he said inwardly. The Loch Ness was an Irish bar run by two Thai women who wouldn't have been able to locate either Scotland or the Emerald Isle on a map if their lives depended on it. Somehow, though, 
in the crazy amalgam of life that typified this city, bars like these had survived every fad, and they were a common habitat for sad bastard runaway Europeans like Richard Walker Esquire. The best thing about the Loch Ness was that it was always open, and that his ethnic authenticity guaranteed him admission. The worst thing about it was that it was always open. Hi Ridge, you okay? You look like shit today. You want Jim Beam? No ice? No, Mama-san. Just give me a bud for now. You've got a hell of a way to go with that customer-focused crap. You'll be back again tomorrow, I know, she stated, with a certainty that shook him more than a little in his beleaguered state. It was true. He had popped in a few times in the several months he'd been living in San Francisco. It was also true he had the highest score on the antique arcade arcade game against the wall and that the pool table sitting in front of him had earned him as much as any paid work he might have done. The Loch Ness was an uncannily appropriate moniker for one such as him to gravitate to. Like its famous namesake, the bar was also murky and dark, frequented by deluded arseholes blindly searching for a thing they could never understand which might lend some kind of meaning to their crap existence and if you knew where and when to look there was also the wee matter of the Scottish monster attraction although this particular one was a tad puny and not a little bit peely-wally when measured up to his more illustrious cousin as he sat elbows propped up on the sticky bar top Ridge surveyed the scene before him and tried to take stock of his present situation it was only natural he told himself that when so far from home you should feel the need to seek out solace from others like himself who were travelling in those situations it was important to socialise and get out and about as much as possible there was no point in being halfway round the world and then sitting in contemplating your belly button fluff was there and after all most of the jobs he'd found had been through this hallowed emporium of the alcoholic beverage unfortunately He'd been spectacularly unsuccessful at holding on to any of them for too long. He discovered that being a great computer programmer cut no ice when you're stuck a hundred feet up a ladder with a forty-pound bag of sand over your shoulder. He had applied himself to the social side of the task with some zeal, he had to admit, and if there ever was a spare place in the Manic Street Preacher's line-up, then surely he had the liver for it. Four years of university life in Scotland had prepared him well for this. The beer was weaker over here, and the pool table offered easy prey after so many hours crouched over the snooker tables in his student union bar back home. He could see two lads over near the toilets right now who had gap-year tourists stamped all over them, gulping their bottles of domestic beer with a barely concealed disdain Whilst looking over constantly at their virginally clean backpacks, they were nervously trying to attract the attention of the pool players, unsure of the protocol. He thought for a moment whether to fleece them or teach them how to survive the all-important first few hours. But he turned away instead and gave up any thoughts of monetary gain as the floor swam and queasy Dalai-esque memories of the previous day stroke evening hit him like a train. There had been no presage of impending doom as he'd sat here on Thursday with Eric, 
just two regular guys having a quiet drink on the way home from work. Besides, Eric was, of all his acquaintances here, the most straight arrow of the bunch. He'd originally fled Switzerland to avoid military service and found himself in California, a place so screwed up, as he was very fond of recounting, that they said somebody once tilted up America and all the crazies landed here. He was a carpenter and his mastery of wood had ensured him regular work at the construction company where his slavish attention to detail and unswerving good nature made him something of a paragon. However, apart from that, he was okay. So when Eric suggested they swing by a new sculpture exhibition down towards the Mission District with the promise of a beer and a muy picante burrito, Ridge was all for it. He lost Eric about midnight. It was the same old story, meet people in a bar, get led astray, wake up wrecked. His memory of the first act was poor, but by the time the the final curtain went down, he was strictly off-planet. The problem was, being a dashing young Scot, every time he opened his mouth, some dizzy Berkeley girl would say what a cool accent he had, which would lead to horrible Ewan McGregor impersonations and other embarrassing stunts. This time he'd fall in with a bunch of art students, taking way too much coke for a Caledonian boy and been dragged to at least two clubs that he could remember. He closed his eyes and he could still feel the dull throb of heavy dance music and smell the sweet coconut of the swirling dry ice, wrapping him momentarily in that sickly, cotton candy, day-glow other world. A world where things were not always what they seemed. He'd bounced off sweaty walls in one club doing his usual inane grinning at some gorgeous female who turned out on this occasion to be a he in transition. At some party later on there was still more coke flying around and he could vaguely remember that warm feeling of supreme confidence and well-being and thinking that drugs were really not as bad as people made out. That feeling of confidence must have been what led him into a serious disagreement with two guys who were preaching the worthiness of the cause of the Irish freedom fighters. After denouncing their parentage in terms that they could understand, he discovered he was sitting amongst a party of closet Irish Republican supporters, and that's when things went really bad. Even now he could hear a siren shrieking in his head, but then he glanced round in amazement to see the other patrons of the Loch Ness moving out to the frontage of the bar, where a myriad of flashing lights was reflecting off the old mirrors and cheap glass. Ridge shook himself hard as the fire services went about their drill on the opposite sidewalk. Bloody hell, I thought that racket was in my head. I've got to sort myself out. He spun his head wildly round, saw that all eyes were out towards the front. I will sort it out, but not right now. So with that... He leant over the bar, grabbed a bottle of Jack Daniels, thrust it under his coat and lurched for the door. So there we have it, Ridge Walker, an unlikely hero. But then, quite often, it's when we're put into unlikely situations that people become heroes. And so we will find that Ridge does step up to the plate when when he has to but for now we'll leave him in the bar 
in San Francisco. I hope you enjoyed that little taster of my very first novel, He Who Pays the Piper. You can find that on Amazon. I think it's on special at the moment on Kindle, uh, so you could snap that one up. Next time I'll give you some tips on the writing life. But for now, that's all from Alex Breck, and I hope you have a great week. Be good. Bye now.